Welcome to Dances FAQ, the podcast that gives you health information, keys for action and motivation, as well as tips for your career and well-being. My name is Alex Renier, and I'm very excited to share all of that with you, artists, athletes, and dancers. Hi guys, welcome back on Dances FAQ. Today we are going to talk about the pill and more generally about hormonal contraception like the implant, the hormonal IUD, the ring and so on. If you need a little recap about the menstrual cycle before diving into this information, check out the episode I did recently with Siri Kala called What are the different phases of a menstrual cycle? Today, I am super happy to have Jenny Kust as my guest, aka Wolverine. She is a justice reproductive health practitioner, she is a faculty member of the Justice College International, and she is the woman behind the Instagram account at wolverine.kus, sharing content about women's health. You can find her content on wolverine.se and her Boon channel, boon.tv slash wolverine. It is mainly in Swedish, but it will be available in English within the second half of the year. I really wanted Jenny to be my guest on this topic, and I absolutely loved doing this episode. It is a bit longer than usual, but I didn't want to cut out anything. Make sure you share this episode if you like it. Subscribe to the channel and follow us on Instagram at DancersFAQ. Enjoy! Welcome Jenny on the show! Thank you. So today, big topic, we're going to talk about the pill. So maybe to, to like dive into the subject straight away, could you tell us the difference between the two pills that are out there, the one with progestin only and the one with progestin and synthetic estrogen? What is the difference? How do they work? Okay, so what you first need to understand to kind of grasp this topic is how the menstrual cycle works. I don't know, have you had any episodes before about that where you go into the negative feedback loop? Yes, we actually uh, did talk about it in a previous episode with Siri, but I think it's nice if you actually give us a little sum up. Basically, uh, how the menstrual cycle works, and this, this goes for other kinds of hormonal glands as well, Uh, your brain is talking to your hormonal glands, right? So uh, there's a discussion going on between your hypothalamus, your pituitary gland, and in this case, the ovaries. There's also a conversation with your thyroid and with your adrenals and your pancreas and these kind of things. And it's usually a negative feedback loop, which basically means that your brain is reading how much hormonal output you are making in the gland in question. So let's say the ovaries, for example, if there's a lot of estrogen or progesterone coming from them, your brain will become quiet. And if there's a little uh, hormonal output, if it's kind of a you know, bottom range level, uh, your brain will start signaling, hey, make more. So this goes for a lot of different systems. So a negative feedback loop is basically like levels low, you get a signal to produce more. Levels high, your brain goes quiet. Okay, that's basically what's happening. So if you look at the menstrual cycle, we have several instances where this is happening. So estrogen versus progesterone in the two different phases of the cycle will be talking to the brain this way and getting it to either shut up or give orders to produce more. And what hormonal contraceptives do is that they wipe out this communication by introducing an artificial hormone. And this could be done either by progestin, which is basically fake progesterone, or it could be done with both 
a fake estrogen, etinyl estradiol, or even bioidentical estrogen. There are some of the pills that have like a semi-bioidentical estrogen in them. But then the progesterone aspect in the normal menstrual cycle, we produce progesterone, right? But in a contraceptive, you have gestogen or progestins, which is basically like fake versions of progesterone. And they can look a little bit different. So it's like you're introducing a fake hormone that's like a variant, a lab-made variant of the usual hormones that you would produce cyclically in your cycle. But in your menstrual cycle, they come in fluctuations. They come in different phases. So we have one phase, the follicular phase, where you're first low in estrogen, and then you have a peak in estrogen. And then you have the luteal phase, where you have both uh, moderately high estrogen and a really high progesterone. In the first phase of the cycle of follicular, you have almost no progesterone. So in your menstrual cycle, uh, the regular one with no contraceptives added, you would have two different phases that have different kind of hormonal profiles. With a contraceptive of that sort, you're actually like, you're targeting a disruption. Like you want, you want to achieve a disruption in the negative feedback loop by introducing these kind of variants of the hormones that they're not quite the same. They're kind of the same. So they bind to the receptors. They're similar basically to your progesterone or your estrogen, but they're not really, it's like putting the wrong key in the keyhole. Like you can get it in, but it's not always, you can open the door. (laughs) It's kind of, you get a... Uh, you, you get an effect, like you, you stick a letter in the mailbox, but it's not certain that it's giving the message you want. <laughs> it's basically just stuck in the mailbox. Uh, mailbox being your receptors, your hormonal receptors. But you come in with a, a high dose, actually. And even with these contraceptives that we would call low dose, it's actually not so low because to override and kind of wipe out this communication, the cycle, your own reproductive capacity, you have to go in with pretty high levels. You have to like introduce more of these synthetic variants of hormones than you would produce of your own because otherwise you can't shut it down. So with all of those contraceptives, where the point is to stop you ovulating, because that's the, that's the contraceptive effect, right? You, want, you don't want people to ovulate. What you need to do is basically like shock the brain to the point where it goes, oh, it looks like you have shitloads of hormones in your system. You're obviously very busy down there, you ovaries. So I'm gonna be quiet. Okay, so that's how you shut the communication down. So you have to get to a level where your brain goes, whoa, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just gonna shut up. You know, it doesn't matter if you put those in your mouth or if it's uh, this implant in your arm or if it's the hormonal IUD or if it's the vaginal ring or if it's the, the plaster that you put on your hip. You know, there's all kinds of different ways to get this in the system, but hormones travel in the bloodstream. So they're all capable of disrupting this rhythm to a higher or lesser degree, a little bit depending on, of course, dose. As with the hormonal IUD, uh, sometimes we hear that that just has a local effect, which is of course, not true because hormones travel in the bloodstream. That's what they do. So it's not possible to say that it's local, but it may not be enough of a dose for you to shut down your menstrual cycle enough. Of course, it's going to have like a full body systemic effect. Uh, I mean, we can tell that women who are using the hormonal IUD, they might get depressed or get acne. And that's, that's not very local. That's not happening in your uterus, right? I mean, you don't get like vaginal acne. Uh, or uterine migraines, that's not going to happen. So obviously it has a full body effect, but depending again, like how much do you weigh? You know, how big are you? How, how is your biochemical reality with respect to the dosage in that particular contraceptive? So there are women on the hormonal ID and even on the mini pill and the progestin only pill that might actually have cycles like menstrual cycles. But in that case, 
what we're hoping for, of course, if you want the, the desired effect of the contraceptive is that it's still kind of disruptive enough to destroy the conditions under which sperm and egg could meet. So for example, making the cervical mucus very thick so that you can't pass through. In your normal menstrual cycle, you have phases where the cervix is open and like welcoming, hospitable to sperm and phases of your cycle, which are infertile, where the cervix is closed and it's like plugged up with this very thick, uh, I call it the Philadelphia kind of, like a cream cheese style. It's just like really thick and it's really difficult to swim in. In your menstrual cycle, you have those phases of like closed and open. So the cervix is like, you know, it's the portal. It's the, we call it nature's gate. Either it lets things in or it doesn't, basically. That's one of the, the one of the effects that you have. You have the cervical plug, so to speak. And then you have the endometrium. The endometrium is your uterine lining. And that's what I call the planting soil where an, an embryo, if you have, mm-hmm. if, if there's conception, if there is, you know, sperm and egg meat, there's fertilization and you have an embryo, then that would implant in the endometrium. One of the effects of, of the hormonal contraceptives is that the endometrium is really thin and like, yeah, it's not fertile. You can't really plant in it. But if you really want to like, be sure that your contraceptive is working, you, you want to override the negative feedback between like, the communication between your brain and your ovaries and make sure that the hormonal input from the contraceptive is high enough to make the brain go, okay, you seem to be very busy. I'm not going to tell you to do anything. I'm checking out. During the time you're on these contraceptives, you basically have no activity in your ovaries. That's why we see there's a lot of studies that's been coming out and people get really kind of freaked out by what they're saying. They show that uh, the ovaries shrink by 50% and that a part of your brain shrinks by 50%, uh, which sounds really dramatic, but it's like, yeah, that's what's going to happen if you quiet the activity. If you don't have any follicles, follicles are the like kind of like eggshells with the fluid and then you have the small tiny egg cell inside. So we just imagine like an egg with the yolk in it, but the follicles, they grow inside the ovaries, right? So they swell up as they're maturing, which is something that happens cyclically. If if there's no action on the ovarian front, (laughs) you're going to have, uh, they're going to shrink a little bit. And then hopefully, of course, get back to their normal size once once they're active again. And how can you shut down the brain if you're only giving one of the two sexual hormones? It doesn't really matter, actually. The most important of those two hormones are uh, the gestogen uh, or the progestin, depends on what country you're in, how you say that, but like the fake progesterone. Because in the normal menstrual cycle, progesterone is a hormonal agent that will tell your brain that we already ovulated. So progesterone in itself has that effect of of your brain going, okay, so you already had an ovulation. We're not going to make another ovulation until we know if you're pregnant or not, until you've menstruated or not. So the gestogen imitates progesterone. And again, we have many different kinds of gestogens with many different side effects and different kind of profiles. But what they have in common is that, yeah, they tell your brain to go, yeah, no, no, we already ovulated. You don't have to give a signal about that. Some of the contraceptives, they have the combined contraceptives, which is the, the combined, like the regular pill, the vaginal ring, and a plaster, I think has, yeah, it, it has estrogen and progestin as well, both of them. And the benefit with that from a kind of um, treatment perspective is that it even further makes the brain go, whoa, <laughs> and, uh, and also ha- you get a better bleeding control when you get estrogen. So some may have noticed that if you're using a gestogen-only 
like a progesterone pill or a, uh, an implant in the arm or a hormonal IUD, that there's this possibility of just bleeding always, like just bleeding for months on end, just kind of never stops. Some people get no bleeding at all, and some people get bleeding all the time. And estrogen can actually help stop that a little bit. Okay, and about the so the bleeding, it means that if you are taking like the mini pill, uh, you would get real period because you are actually ovulating. So you you could get real period, and some in some other cases only the withdrawal bleeding. Yeah, maybe we should clarify what the withdrawal bleeding is to begin with. Uh, because not all of the listeners might know that. So let's take the normal pill as an example, uh, the normal pill, the, the, the general <laughs> combined contraceptive pill. You take the hormones for a set amount of days. I mean, it's usually 21, I think, or 28, or, you know, you have different modules of doing this. Some people don't take, you know, they just take the hormones all the time and never take a break. But sooner or later, you're going to, with most pills, have like a, a period where you eat the sugar pills instead. There's no hormones, right? And then you get what is called a withdrawal bleed. And withdrawal means literally like you're withdrawing those hormones. So imagine that you put like a hormonal rug all over the place and then you kind of just, you, you yank that rug away. And, and what's going to happen is that the stability that the hormones was giving you, the, the quietness that those hormones w were creating is now, you know, that, that stability is lost. The endometrium is not stabilized anymore because the endometrium, the uterine lining, it is stabilized by these hormones. And in the normal menstrual cycle, that's what happens with menstruation. Menstruation is I mean, it is a withdrawal in the sense that both estrogen and, and uh, progesterone is falling. That's why we start bleeding. But you only call it menstruation if it's the result of ovulation. Okay, so menstruation is a result of a fertile cycle. You don't have to get pregnant during it, obviously, because then you don't bleed at all, but a, a cycle that is actually working and that has ovulation as an event in it. So that's true menstruation, right? But with the pill, you have this monthly bleed that is essentially kind of a, it's a medically induced bleed. So of course it comes from the uterine, it comes from the same place, but the big difference is that you did not have the buildup of the endometrium in response to like an ovulation happening. So this is a big topic in itself. Like I could talk for weeks about this, but just imagine that you, you start your menstrual cycle. Again, I'm off the contraceptives. Now. I'm talking about the general menstrual cycle. So during your period, your endometrium at the end of your period is going to be at its thinnest, right? Because you literally bled out the endometrium. And then under uh, influence of estrogen, it's going to be building. So that's the proliferative phase. It's proliferating as in the endometrium is getting thicker and thicker, and that's estrogen doing that. And then you get to ovulation. And then on the other side of ovulation, you have what's called the luteal phase. In the luteal phase, you have progesterone, which comes in and kind of controlling this thick endometrium so that it's really ripe and ready to have an embryo implanting in it. So that's the role of the progesterone. It has this kind of controlling, slimy effect that makes the endometrium kind of just a, a little bit more of a put together um, membrane than estrogen is kind of while it just makes it grow. Right? So estrogen is like, oh, thicker, more, wetter. Mm. It's a really kind of creative hormone and wild that way. Whereas progesterone is coming in and just like, hey, we got to control this situation a little bit. Then progesterone keeps the endometrium stable until, until we know whether you're pregnant or not. So that's the whole history in itself. But your body is going to know sooner or later that, oh, there wasn't any pregnancy. And then after that, progesterone and estrogen is going to fall. That's because the corpus luteum is dying. But 
again, it's not specifically the menstrual cycle, but I would really encourage your listeners to go through that first, so that they really know all of these terms that I'm talking about. The corpus luteum is basically like the old eggshell. And once that realized that, okay, you're not pregnant, it starts to die. And when it dies, the hormones drop. So it's a withdrawal, right? And your menstrual, your menstrual periods and your menstruation starts. And with the pill then, you have the same, like you have the hormone withdrawal because you stop taking the pill and you take a sugar pill instead. And that triggers the bleeding, but it's not, I mean, it's not menstruation because it, it wasn't the result of this, this whole process. What, what you're bleeding out when you're on the pill is just the result of the hormones that you were taking. So the hormones in the pill are going to, if because it's both estrogen and progesterone, right? So it's going to have like a little bit of a buildup situation. But for many women, they think that, you know, their period is so much lighter and easier when they're on the pill. That has a number of kind of lies built into it. But first, first of all, it's not a period. <laughs> it's, it's a medically induced fake bleeding, you know? Uh, and also it's not going to be as heavy because you, because you didn't have a proper buildup because you weren't fertile. Yeah, but it's still the endometrium shedding, isn't it? Yeah, it's still, it's still the same endometrium. It's just that the buildup of the endometrium was different. And, uh, and that's why it can be experienced as a lot lighter and neater than, than your normal period. This is like a whole topic in itself because I find it so interesting how women are told that, oh, you can regulate your period with the pill. Like you can get an easier, lighter period. It's going to be so much better. You're not going to have to bleed so much. Look, and you can decide which day it comes on. And, and then it's like, But actually, from a contraceptive viewpoint, that bleed is completely unnecessary. Like there is no medical reason, actually, for you to have that withdrawal bleed. If you're on the pill, you're not ovulating. There's no reason for you to bleed out, really. Like you don't even need it. Actually, it compromises, it like decreases the efficacy of the method because there is this little chance that during those days that you take a break with those sugar pills, that your brain actually might take up contact with your ovaries and you might get an ovulation. So from a safety standpoint, it's like, it's really like, why are we doing that? It's yeah. really good that, that you mentioned that because I'm, I'm finishing this book that you recommended, Sweetening the, the Pill. The thing is, we have numbers here, but uh, she doesn't mention her sources. So that's for me the little negative point of that book. But anyways, it was published in 2013. And she says that 50% of American women on the pill are using it to regulate their cycle. 50%. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is false. Yeah, there's no cycle. You've wiped out your cycle. You've eradicated it, and and now you think you're in a better place. But it's like, but when you get off the pill, uh, first of all, a lot of women feel really cheated and fooled when they realize that oh, like I was actually bleeding unnecessarily and it wasn't even my period. And then like all of the problems that they might have had before, because maybe had they had a reason to go on the pill, they might have had problematic menstrual cycles of some sort like PMS or PCOS or heavy bleeding or menstrual cramps, whatever. And then they get on the pill to regulate. And, and what you get is like, it's not a cycle, like you said, and it's not a menstruation, but it's a regular bleed, a withdrawal bleed, right? And, and when they stop, they get all the problems back. It's not a healing protocol in that sense. Absolutely, there are times and situations and individuals where going on the pill might be the right thing to do. And it might be really helpful for somebody who's suffering with this or that, and they can't, you know, they don't know what to do about it otherwise. But that's kind of my, I work with fixing women's cycles. So for me, it's like, why don't we help women actually feel good in their bodies and not have such problematic cycles? Because this medication 
even though it might be useful in some situations, it's like, it's not actually fixing anything, you know, because you get those problems back with a vengeance sometimes, because after you get off the pill, you have even worse possibilities of maintaining a, a healthy cycle because you've been ignoring your problems. And then the pill in itself comes with some, you know, side effects and it creates a nutritional deficiency and it creates all kinds of thyroid issues and blah, blah, blah. So we have like a host of side effects from that. So that when you get off them, you're not actually not in a better place. You're kind of back where you were, if not worse. And trying to have a, a good cycle from there is not going to be easier. It's a sad setup where I wish that, you know, um, that Western medicine would have a little bit more interest in actually making women feel good in their own bodies instead of just covering it up with these kind of, you know, masking the symptoms with a pill. However happy somebody may be that they are getting the pill right now, it's like I'm seeing all of these women year in and year out and they all go like, you know, how could I not have known this? How, why didn't anyone help me? I spent like 10 years being depressed on the pill and it didn't even solve my problems. And nobody told me that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't regulating my cycles. My former gynecologist was calling some of these effects the boomerang effect of when you stop the pill, for example, getting more hairy, saying that your testosterone is coming back and this is your boomerang effect. Yeah. And when I stopped the pill, that's all he had to tell me. Oh yeah, that's the boomerang effect. And I was like, what? What do you mean? I wasn't aware of that. Technically, it's called androgen excess. Uh, there's a lot of terms for it right now. Some people call it the post-birth control syndrome. Some call it post-pill PCOS. Uh, so, so there's a lot of different terms for it. But what happens is basically... I maybe should I, I should tell you a little bit more about the different progestins first, just so you get the point, because I told it that we have these fake progesterone varieties, right? So depending on what contraceptive you're using or what kind of pill you're using, you're getting a gestogen. And that gestogen is going to be designed one way or the other. And it kind of looks like it's supposed to, to bind to the progesterone receptors, but it can actually look like testosterone or it could look like estrogen. So we can have like different kind of molecular profiles that gives it a certain hormonal profile. So that's why you have some pills that will give you lovely skin and, and big breasts and, and beautiful hair, you know, and then you have other pills that will give you acne and mustache. <laughs> you know? So depending on kind of profile, you're going to feel that in the side effect profile. So for example, with the, with the ones that kind of look like estrogen, that's the first group I mentioned, this drospirin, like Yasmin. Yasmin is a really famous brand there. It will give you gray skin. They give it for acne all the time. So it will give you like skin, like an eight-year-old, you will like look super fresh. But on the other hand, it might give you blood clots and breast cancer and blah, blah, blah. You know, it kind of has that estrogenic profile of side effects also in the negative. And then you have levonorgestrel, which is one of the most commonly used. That's, it behaves a little bit more like the testosterone. So it's quite common to actually develop acne and hair loss on it. But you might keep your sex drive a little bit better, or you might, you know, there are like ups and downs with all the pros and cons with all of them. And you don't have such a high risk of blood clots, for example, and strokes as you do with just So, So it's like when you're talking to a, a prescriber, a doctor, gynecologist, midwife, they'll often tell you that, you know, okay, so you're suffering from these side effects. Let's change brand and try this one. And that might give you a whole new set of side effects <laughs> to the better or worse, you know, uh, but that's how it works a little bit. And especially those like Yasmin that have that kind of estrogenic profile, they're really anti-androgen, which means that they're going to push 
your testosterone and like your male hormones, I'm doing that in brackets, like, you know, it's not really male, but anyway, the, the androgen profile hormones, they're going to give you muscle strength, good hard orgasms, but also like hair growth in places that you might not want it. It might give you acne, that those kind of think testosterone, right? A certain group of pill is like really, really pushing down. It's anti-androgen in its effect. That's why you get the lovely skin. But when you stop with those, you get, I mean, I haven't called it the boomerang effect before, but I call it sometimes like a backlash. You get abstinence more or less. It's like when, when this veil is starting to lift, that kind of um, oppression, if you will, you could call it like, it's like a hormonal oppression that was pushing down your testosterone. When that comes off, you might actually end up in a situation, you probably will end up in a situation where you have an androgen overload excess. And this doesn't happen immediately because it takes a few months for the pill to be cleared from the body and for the liver to, to regain its normal status. That can actually take years uh, for you to really come out of this. So what confuses a lot of women is that, let's say they're taking Yasmin, for example, and, and they have this, you know, the skin is great, everything is okay, but they might be super depressed and not have any libido whatsoever. And then they get off it. And it, it's like another six months before they start seeing these PCOS-like symptoms, like you were saying, like with the hair growth in places that you might not like it, with the oily skin and the oily hair, and the hair might be falling out of your head, like in chunks. So that actually has like a, basically it can take around six months before those symptoms start showing up because that's when your body is trying to normalize again. And then you get this androgen excess situation. So that sucks. And also you don't, I mean, you're not told about it. So because there's a, there's a delay in those symptoms showing up, you might not actually think that it has anything to do with the pill. So you might think, oh, this is who I am when I'm off the pill, you know, and no doctor is going to tell you, I mean, I'm happy your doctor at least talked about the boomerang effect because what I've heard so much from my clients is that they have no idea. They've been told by their doctor that, you know, now you're off it, nothing can happen. And then they report these symptoms like, you know, my cycle is weird. I'm having, it's like I have PCOS. Oh, maybe that's just who you are. We have a pill for that. And it's like the only treatment for that situation is the pill. But the situation in itself is actually a post-pill reaction. It's a, it's a delayed side effect of your body trying to get back from this kind of hormonal oppression that it was under. But if nobody talks about that, a lot of women think that it's, oh, maybe this is who I am without the pill because they've been on it for like 10 years. So they didn't even think about, you know, they, they don't really know what their norm, more normal state is. And I think it's really important to talk about like the post side effects um, so that we can, you know, maybe work with it, or at least be informed about that before we get on the pill. What about the constant bleeding? I've heard so much about it. I had it myself when I stopped the pill. Like you go bleeding for weeks, two weeks, three weeks, mm -hmm. a month. Why? What's happening? There are several different scenarios that could be happening. Basically, you stop bleeding when your ovaries have kind of woken up. So also in the normal menstrual cycle, what causes the menstruation to stop around day five or six, say, is that estrogen is rising. So it stops when the endometrium starts rebuilding. So as long as your endometrium is kind of, it doesn't have this hormonal support and stabilization, it's going to bleed. But as soon as it starts proliferating, as in growing, under the influence of the growing eggs, right, uh, that's where you stop bleeding. So in the situation where you're kind of in a hormonal no man's land, your ovaries are not yet talking to your brain. Like everything is kind of like, oh, what are we doing now? <laughs> we don't know uh, what's up. That 
that is when you, you might end up in that situation where you're just bleeding, 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 and it's not going to stop until your ovaries start talking to your brain. You get some FSH, which is follicle stimulating hormone. When you get that withdrawal, uh, like when you stop the pill or you take the sugar pills or whatever, uh, usually your brain would immediately go, oh, you're not pregnant. All right, let's start a new cycle, you know? And it would send out FSH and then the ovaries would react and they would react with estrogen and estrogen would start build up your, your endometrial lining. And, you know, that's, you first get a bleed and then the bleed stops and then you start ovulating like within a few days or weeks. That's kind of the desired scenario. But this is where uh, we really fail women because we give out this contraceptives, or we don't, I don't, but I mean, I'm not prescribing anything, but in general, society, the healthcare system is giving all of these different contraceptives. And sure, you do, you do kind of uh, adapt a little bit to the person who's taken them. Of course, if they complain, you might change brand, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's the same dose, regardless of your weight, regardless of your lifestyle, regardless of your diet. <laughs> I mean, so you don't really take those things into consideration. So when you're coming off the pill or any kind of hormonal contraceptive, you need to kind of assess where are you now? Because I know that, you know, this podcast is for dancers, right? And people who might be very, very physically active. You have to consider like, what are your possibilities of regaining a healthy menstrual cycle? Because to, to get an ovulation going, to get a menstrual cycle up and running, you need food, <laughs> you need rest, uh, you need a certain amount of fat on your body. I mean, you need protein, you need vitamin D. I mean, there's so many things that actually weighs into this because your menstrual cycle and ovulation is like the, the best expression of your vitality. Regardless of whether you want to have kids or not, ovulating is a really, really good sign that your body is working because if you can't ovulate, it's like, you know, it's not a good sign regardless of, you know, whether you have a child wish or not. So what many like fail to consider, because, and that's because our healthcare system doesn't talk to us about this at all, is that because the menstrual cycle is such a reflection of, of just general health, right? Then we don't see it as that mirror as we could, right? So we have a tendency of like kind of also because we're able to medicate it away so easily. It's so easy to get the pill. It's so easy to just like, you know, oh, you're 12 and you have a zit and a boyfriend. Here you go. There's the pill. Bye-bye, you know? Mm -hmm. So for us, like in this culture, it's so easy to just kind of alienate the menstrual cycle from what's going on with the rest of your body. But the truth is that they're intimately are connected, of course. Like the menstrual cycle is in no way separate from the rest that's going on in your body. So let's say you go on the pill and you might be, elite athlete style active, <laughs> you know, you might, you might really be working it hard or you might've become a vegan or you might, you know, any kind of change that might be really taxing on your body, regardless of if you've been on the pill or not, like how is your menstrual cycle going to cope with that? You know, do you have enough nutrients, enough rest, enough energy? Like, and I mean, energy excess, like energy enough to actually maintain a menstrual cycle on top of what you're actually doing. So that's going to affect, you know, if you come off the pill, I have had clients, they put in like a, the contraceptive ring and then they pull it out and they get pregnant exactly 14 days later. No, it's just like that. You know, it just works because they get that withdrawal that I was talking about and their brain just goes, oh, okay. You know, and then it ovulates within two weeks and they're good. So that might happen. I've also had clients who's went off the pill 
And they were in this kind of situation that maybe they might be running marathons, they might be living off of caffeine beverages, they might be vegan or whatever, have eating disorders and so on. And it takes like six years after they get off the pill before they get their period back. So it's really, really individual. And this is where as a culture, as a, as a feminist movement, I would want women to start looking at like the menstrual cycle, like a, the fifth vital sign that it really is like together with, you know, breathing and pulse and all kinds of important stuff. Your menstrual cycle is really like an expression of, you know, how healthy are you? So if it's missing, I mean, sure, we can blame the contraceptives maybe a little bit, like they didn't make it easier for you to bounce back, but you have to consider like, where are you when you're going off of them? You might be in a very different situation than when you started on them. You know, when I've been on them for 15 years, you're not the same person anymore. You know, you're not eating the same way. You're not training the same way. So, so this, this scenario that you're talking about, that's one of many possible scenarios. The bleeding in itself, to answer your question, very long sidetrack, but to answer your question, the bleeding, uh, that, that's what I would call like a hormonal no man's land. It's where your ovaries aren't kind of bouncing back. They're not coming back to activity as soon as you would like. I have a last technical question. When you take the fake pill, like the sugar pills, and that you start bleeding, why isn't your brain sending the information that there's a lack of hormone sending FSH to start a new one? Is it because the levels stay high anyways, because this amount of time is too short? No, actually, it can, it can do that. And, oh. and that's what I meant with that. It's actually, from a safety point, not the best way to go about it. But the reason we hopefully don't get pregnant during those seven days of a break is because, like you said, it might take like a day or two before the levels start dropping. And then we start again. I mean, we start again with the hormones before the body is able to produce an ovulation, hopefully. But there is there is the small risk. I mean, the contraceptive pill isn't that effective, actually. The, the typical use of the contraceptive pill is 91% efficacy. It's not the, what we always hear, like 99.7, 99.3. That's perfect use, you know? But if you're skipping a pill here or there, or you might forget to start with your normal pills after the sugar pills, you might kind of, oh, it became eight days instead of seven days. I mean, you might end up in a situation where, where your brain goes, okay, you know, I'm going to ovulate. Uh, so that happens. I mean, people do get pregnant on the pill. None of these are absolutely safe. Another aspect of that is like with the hormonal IUD, they've been pushing that really, really hard in Sweden, for example, lately, because, you know, it's like set it and forget it. You just put it in. You don't have to think about it for three years and it's so good. And then they sell it from a standpoint of, oh, but it's just local because it's in your uterus. So it has no systemic effect, which of course is bullshit. I mean, <laughs> it's not, it's not local again. Like you do not get depressed in your uterus. So obviously it's not local, but it does have a local effect as well. And you are able in some cases to keep your menstrual cycle. So some people would lose their menstrual cycle entirely on the hormonal ID and some won't, some will have regular cycles. But then we come to the crux. If you maintain a menstrual cycle while on the hormonal IUD, there's a second side effect that's really, really nasty, which is ectopic pregnancy. Imagine that you actually manage to ovulate, even though you have a hormonal IUD, which can happen. And imagine you actually manage to get pregnant, which of course, I mean, the risk is small. It's still a very safe contraceptive, but it's not a hundred percent. Nothing is a hundred percent, right? So if you do manage to get pregnant, and of course the risk of getting pregnant is higher if you're actually ovulating than if you're not ovulating. So that makes sense, right? So if you manage to get pregnant, the risk of you having an ectopic pregnancy due to the fact that you have a little thing, an implant in your uterus, 
which is secreting gestogen or progestin, levonorgestrel uh, is, the, is the kind that's in most of those um, hormonalities. You have that effect of like a local hormonal effect within the endometrium and also an irritating implant, which your uterus kind of doesn't want there. So there's an inflammatory process going on all the time. That really, really increases your chance from like a chance of one to 2% with normal pregnancies, like in the general population, one to 2% out of pregnancies will be an ectopic pregnancy. And that's when the embryo, the fertilized embryo gets stuck on the way down. So it gets stuck in your fallopian tube. And that's that's the crisis pretty quick because if it's like sits there and starts growing, it's going to burst your fallopian tube and you might lose, you will probably lose a fallopian tube or more. You know, it's a, it's a life-threatening condition for many people and very traumatic, lots of blood. And, and also you might get a, an impairment afterwards because you have to like operate and take out a fallopian tube. So I've had clients who've like ended up with, you know, they're not able to have kids anymore because they're going to have to have IVFs because they don't have, they had to operate these things out after ectopic pregnancy. So it's a really, really nasty situation. But imagine that in like normal pregnancies, it's one to 2%, but with a hormonal ID, which of course is more rare because it's a contraceptive, but it does happen and it happens with these low dose hormonal IDs, it happens more often because people are ovulating, you know, and then it, the risk goes up to 50%. So that means it's a half, half chance that, you know, if you were to get pregnant, how are you going to control that? Because you've already kind of given up your control. You don't have fertility awareness. You're, you know, you can't control it anymore. And you've been told that it's such a, a safe contraceptive, but if you were by, you know, God forbid, you were to actually get pregnant on it, your chance of, of really, really screwing up your future chances to get pregnant is pretty high. I mean, it's, it's up to 50% from 1%. Wow. You know? And that's also something that's like, why aren't we told that? You know, that's something that we should be able to calculate in our decision. So there's a lot of these things that kind of, you know, really make me upset because I'm all for the choice. Absolutely, you should be able to choose any contraceptive you like. I don't care if people are using three implants at the same time. You know, it doesn't bother me. Do whatever you want with your body. But it really, really does bother me that we're not actually informed of how this works. Because also the information starts with knowing the menstrual cycle. If we don't understand how the menstrual cycle works, we can't understand the effect of our contraceptives. And if we can't understand the effect of our contraceptives, how are we going to say that it's a free choice? How are we going to say that, oh, this is my free feminist choice, like part of the sexual revolution. My, my mother fought so hard for the pill to, to be available to all women. It's like, yeah, that sounds really nice, but how free is a choice if you don't have enough information to even understand your choice? Today, it sounds more like a default mode rather than a conscious choice. You do it because your friends do it. In high school, everybody's taking the pill, so you're taking the pill. It's safe. It's easy. Like It's really easy to get a prescription for it. Yeah, we're all happy for the possibility, right? It's like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with, with the access to it. Sure, you know, but information is like, it's part of a fundamental human right, which yeah, I'm actually, yeah. I actually think we're not getting access to that if yeah, we're just being sure. so. And especially, I mean, with these things, uh, a trained medical personnel, like prescriber of some sort, who tells you that your hormonal IUD only works locally is actually lying to your face. That is like, it's not ethical, it's not true, it's, it's absolutely unforgivable for that to be going on. And still women are hearing that every day. They're even hearing that the, that the contraceptive ring is, is local. It's like, that's, that's absolute, you know, it's ridiculous. Nobody with a medical training could say that with a clear conscience, but still it's happening. And that's really, 
it's scary. Yeah, that's the business part of health. Like mm -hmm. the pill is the second product sold by Bayer, you know, one of the biggest labs. So yeah. it's a business also. Absolutely. It's one of the most lucrative businesses there are. I mean, we're the cash cow. Our, our bodies are the cash cow. If any of our listeners are completely freaked out and they say, okay, I want to quit, I want to stop the pill, my IUD or whatsoever, what would be your recommendations, your tips? Because you mentioned that it's like going to change a lot of things. Uh, it's affecting also mental health. It's affecting a lot of different things in your body. What would be the, um, the keys to prepare yourself? Uh, again, unfortunately, the first step is to know what they're doing to you. <laughs> so I would actually recommend that you really kind of get uh, involved with, you know, reading up on how does it affect you. Things that are rarely mentioned is, for example, the nutritional deficiencies that are induced by the pill, because when your liver is trying to process all of these uh, extra hormones in the bloodstream, your liver is like your filter organ and your detox organ. So it needs to take care of these and break them down and make sure you eliminate them, right? So it's kind of overburdened because you have not only your own shit to take care of, but also a lot of synthetic hormone, artificial hormones on top of that. And that actually, it burns more nutrients. So, so there's a lot of like a whole host of nutrients, like the whole B complex, you know, B6, B12, B9, all of these. Uh, it's, it's magnesium, it's zinc, it's selenium, you know, it's like never ending long list of stuff that you actually did get, you may get a deficiency of. And those things, first of all, they might be one reason why people are getting depressed. For, for example, B6 is the precursor to serotonin. You know, if you get a induced, uh, deficiency of B6 because of the pill that kind of explains why a lot of people are getting depressive symptoms on it. If you're planning to go off, I would say, try to kind of boost yourself with these nutrients. Again, consider where are you? What are you eating? Like what, what, what are your really chances of maintaining a healthy ovulatory cycle after this? Because you can't, you can't know how hard you were affected by whatever contraceptive you were taking, because it's going to depend on how long you took it again. Like, you, you know, how were you living when you were on it? How old were you when you started? Did you have regular cycles then? Like, were your Uh, your reproductive system up and running and fully functioning before you started on the pill? Or did you start when you were 12 and you never had a menstruation? It's like, that's going to make a difference for you. So you got to assess all of those bits. The main thing I would say was like to stock up on nutrients, make sure you have a good kind of uh, starting place to see what you have working with. But unfortunately, it's a bit of a gamble. You just have to see where you come out on the other end and have patience with your body. And don't fall into the confusion of thinking that the state that you're in after you get off the pill or whichever contraceptive you've been using, uh, that that's you. There is going to be a convalescence. There's going to be abstinence. There's going to be a lot of regulations. It's like, imagine you have like an orchestra <laughs> and you have like the soundboard, you have all these kind of regulating factors in your body, your liver, your, your gut, all these things that are kind of working with, with your cycle or with the contraceptives, right? And those are two very different orchestras. So you have like the rock band is going to need a certain kind of the mastering and the mixing uh, of, of the rock band is going to be very different from the little string quartet that is coming on afterwards. And you have to be able to adapt to that. You can't just assume that your body is going to, you know, it's going to sound good if you put on the other band afterwards and go, yeah, make this work, you know, and they're like, oh, but you know, the bass is too high and this, and that takes time. It takes a few years, actually. For example, if you're thinking that you want to become pregnant, 
I would say get off the pill or any other contraceptive endocrine disruptor at least a year before you start trying. Like give yourself that time, give your body that time to like, you know, uh, recuperate. Yeah. Jenny, thank you so much for all the information. This episode is just so, so massive. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying it. Where can we find you? Okay, so I, I'm called Wolverine, as in with a V. <laughs> so That's hope, amazing. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> I came up with that a late night. I've laughed a lot about it. Uh, but yeah, so so I'm called Wolverine. So you can find me on Instagram as Wolverine Coos, as in K-O-O-S. That's my last name. So Wolverine Coos on Instagram. Uh, and of course, if you're not Swedish, because I, I write my post in Swedish right now, you can always press the translate button. I have a website, Wolverine.se, which is going to be translated to English during this year. I do webinars as, uh, I mean, I give lectures such as I did now. <laughs> I gave you a lecture more or less. You like ask me a few questions. I'm like, ah, you know, but I do give those lectures uh, also right now in Swedish, but I'm starting to move over to English. You can find those at a streaming line called Boon. So it's B-O-O-N dot TV slash Wolverine. So boon.tv slash Wolverine. And if you keep a look out there, if you think this is interesting, I have like loads. I have like 30 webinars in Swedish already. There's one about the menstrual cycle in English, actually, that you could watch if you want to. And then all of that is going to fill up. And we'll be talking about estrogen, progesterone, the right diet for menstrual cycles, PCOS, endometriosis, menstrual cramps, all of that. So, so I have like a, a lecture on all of those different things or a webinar. And also, of course, I'm a teacher at Justice College. So if you want to become a Justice holistic reproductive health practitioner, which is my basic training, then you can check out justice.ca because it's a Canadian school and uh, attend an info meeting if you're interested. And we work with a method of fertility awareness that's called the Justice Method, but we also work with basically helping, uh, helping our clients with their menstrual cycle health and their hormonal health. Thank you again, Jenny. That was really cool to have you here. Thank you, Alex. And I hope people aren't as freaked out. I know this is a heavy topic. I know this can, it can, it can make you feel a lot of um, shame, actually, and sadness and grief, you know, because a lot of us didn't know maybe some of the things I said. And this is, again, it's a huge topic and I know it's very triggering. So I just want to be clear that, you know, whatever you're feeling as you're listening to this, just, you know, forgive yourself for the things you didn't know yesterday. Nobody wants to shame you. Nobody's blaming you for doing what you thought you had to do and what the healthcare system told you to do. Uh, but there's a lot more information out there. It's coming out more and more every day. And unfortunately, we as patients, customers, women have to be the driving force. We have to make sure that this information is available to us and that there's more research done. Thank you guys for listening until the end. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and mention it on your social media. If you have any question, you can contact me at dancesfaq at gmail.com. Once again, don't hesitate to check out my previous episodes about women's health. I already covered several subjects such as cervical mucus, the symptothermal method, hypnobirthing, optimal maternal positioning, orgasmic birth, the menstrual cycle, and there are more to come. Subscribe to Dances FAQ in order to make sure you'll never miss a show. Bye for now. <laughs>